Welcome to our podcast for college Catholics. I am your host, Father Patrick Wainwright. In today's episode, we will have a guest who will tell us about her conversion from atheism to Catholicism. Jennifer Fullweiler is a stand-up comic, best-selling author, podcaster, and mother of six. Her podcast, This Is Jen, debuted in Comedy Top 10 on iTunes. She wrote three books, Something Other Than God, which is a memoir about converting to Catholicism from a lifelong atheism. One Beautiful Dream was a Wall Street Journal and Barnes & Noble bestseller. And finally, Your Blue Flame was featured on the Today Show. She lives with her husband and six children in Austin, Texas. Hello, Jen. How are you doing? Thank you so much for joining me today. I'm great. It's so good to be here. Yes, it's an, uh, for me, an honor to have you in the show. Um, by the way, congratulations for your TikTok followers. <laughs> <laughs> right. it's, it's wild what's going on. I, I actually, in the past five days, I got 30,000 new TikTok followers. It's wow. Wow. And I saw your, your, the T-shirt you, you threatened to use with your, with your kids if they misbehave. Yes, I got a t-shirt that says TikTok famous, and I told my kids that I will wear it if they misbehave. <laughs> very good. Well, very good. Thank you again for being here with us today. Uh, so I, uh, in a re recent episode, uh, I spoke about the existence of God and the reasons we have to believe in God. So every now and then I want to have a guest that speaks about their story. And in this case, your conversion story is pretty amazing. So uh, would you like to share, you know, a little bit how that happened? What was your, you know, your life uh, choices before as far as faith goes? And then how is it that you came around to, to Catholicism? Oh, yeah, sure. <laughs> and, and jump in at any point if you have any questions. All right. But, uh, so I was raised atheist. I wasn't, it wasn't just that we didn't talk about faith in my family. And we, we did talk about faith and, and my dad especially was, um, very much an atheist. And, and so, and I grew up, uh, I moved around a lot, but I was in the Bible belt a lot. And unfortunately I saw examples of Christians who really kind of seemed to be Christians in name only, uh -huh. and they weren't examples of love or kindness or charity. And in fact, I would get pretty seriously bullied for the mm. fact that I didn't go to church and no one ever invited me to go to church with them. They just bullied me for, for wow. not going to church. So that that only further entrenched me in my atheism. And all through college, I was I, I started out college at Texas A&M, which if anyone knows anything about A&M, it's a mm -hmm. it's a state school. It's a public school, but it is very religious. It yes, is, it is. It might as well be a Christian school. It's very religious. And especially when I was there in the 90s, I often joked that of the 70,000 students on campus, I was pretty sure I was the only atheist. Wow. And and so I, I never I never questioned that belief system. I did not, not even once in my childhood, in my teen years, in my young adult years, did I think maybe God might exist. It it was not a question that ever once came to my mind. Wow. Yeah. And and what the first thing, there were a few kind of steps that changed it. The first was when I met my husband. He has an interesting background. He he grew up very poor. He was raised by a single mother and he ended up going to Yale. Uh, and then Columbia Law School and Stanford Business School. Wow. So he had this incredible education, you know, honors. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, super, super impressive education. 
And we'd actually been dating for a while when he said that he not only believed in God, but considered himself a Christian. Now he wasn't practicing. He didn't read the Bible or go to church or I never saw him pray or anything like that. He wasn't living the typical Christian life, but he said, you know, I, I believe, I do believe in Jesus. And I just, which is a lot, which is a lot to say from atheism to say, I believe in Jesus, you know? Yeah. I thought it was so wild. I, and the important thing to note about that is that I really had it in my head that smart people were atheists. If you're smart, you're just an atheist. That's just right. how it is. And so when I met my husband, that that made me ask questions. And then I, I would meet his friends from Yale. And one time I was talking to one of his friends who had degrees from Harvard and from Oxford. And he was he was like a doctor and a molecular physicist or something. Wow. And this guy also was a Christian. And so that that just I couldn't I could no longer say that atheism is only for smart people and only smart people are atheists. That that stupid argument was starting to break down and it forced me to ask some different questions. And so I, I was a little more open, but I was still an atheist. And then when my first child was born, I just I started to wonder what is love? The word that we say love, well, in the atheist worldview. It's it's just chemical reactions in your brain. Right. That's all it is. It has no eternal meaning. You know, if the if the whole world blew up tomorrow, all of the great love stories of the ages, like they didn't matter. None of it mattered if we are right. all just randomly evolved chemical reactions. And when I experienced this love I had for my child, I thought, yeah, I just I think that that love is something real and that it is something outside of the material world. Like if the whole world blew up tomorrow, the love I feel for this child would still exist somehow. And, and it made me realize, you know, in atheism, they always talk about, I need proof. I don't have proof. And what I realized is we believe things all the time that we can't prove in a scientific laboratory. If someone says, why does your mother love you? Why does your brother love you? Well, I mean, you're not thinking, well, I have data. My mother sent me a very nice card. The other, <laughs> right. That's my data. I mean, we believe things all the time that you right. can't prove in a laboratory. And so um, so that for me was, was this really life-changing moment when I thought maybe I could believe that love exists and I, and I don't have to be able to prove it in, in a laboratory. And so, so I said a prayer. Now, uh, now, Father, I never said a prayer in my life. Never. I didn't know how this wow. was supposed to work. It was such a lame prayer. I said, if, if anything is out there, I am open to hearing from you now. Wow. And I said, amen, because I'd seen it on TV. I mean, I, I literally had no idea how to pray. And nothing happened immediately. And this is why I always tell seekers, you know, seek and ye shall find. It's right. true. You, yes, you will. You will. You will find God. But it, it's not instantaneous. This is right. not like going to an ATM machine. God is, this is a relationship. It's just like you don't instantly fall in love with someone that, uh, you know, the first moment you lay eyes on them. It's a relationship. And so I kind of thought, well, God must not exist because nothing happened when I right. said that prayer. And, but then it was like five or six months later, I was at a bookstore and I just felt drawn to this book. And it, it was the weirdest thing. It was on the other side of the bookstore. I, I, I couldn't tell what section I was headed into. And it was by a, a Protestant guy, Lee Strobel. And it was called The Case for Christ. Mm, yes, I think I've heard about and it. Since then, I've actually gotten to know Lee a little bit. And he's wonderful. And his story is that 
He he was the uh, legal editor for the Chicago Tribune. He went to Yale Law School, so clearly a smart guy. And the key thing to take away from this part of my story is I've noticed that lifelong believers, people who have always had some kind of relationship with God, more or less, right. they have a hard time talking to atheists. They They mm-hmm. use language that atheists just don't use. And Lee Strobel was the first person I ever read who spoke my language as an atheist. He knew right. what objections I would have. He knew he knew the way I was thinking because he was he used to be an atheist himself and he converted to Christianity. And so and and I also always say it's not that the book was perfect because sometimes people hear that and moms will be like, "All right, I'm going to run out and get this for my right. atheist son and we'll fix that." It is not that the book was perfect, but because I had said that prayer, because I was in a state of openness, which which was critical, God was able to use that book to just get me to be open-minded. Right, absolutely. Uh, Yeah. And so I I started, um, I just started wondering, okay, well, maybe maybe there's something to this Jesus guy. So I started a blog. This is what you did back in the day. You know, Mm -hmm. blogging was, blogging was the TikTok of of that day. So I went on this blog and I didn't have any readers. I mean, nothing. It was like a spam bot, you know, would leave comments. (laughs) So I realized I have to recruit some people to talk to me about faith, but I didn't, I did not know practicing Christians. I had no friends who were practicing Christians. And so I would go into online forums where atheists and Christians would debate. And I would identify the Christians who did the best job of defending Christianity against atheism. And then I would message them in these forums and say, Hey, I have a blog. Would you come answer some questions? Well, father, what I didn't realize is I, I'd hand selected these people who just demolished atheism. Like they knew more about science than the atheists. Wow. I mean, they were just embarrassing the atheists with their arguments. What I did not realize is every single person I had identified as being super smart and knowing their faith and being able to demolish atheist arguments, they were all Catholic. But wow. I didn't understand the difference between Protestants and Catholics. So I, I, I just didn't, I didn't understand what was going on there. And, um, so unbeknownst to me, I had all of these Catholics Catholic friends. Blog and answering my questions. And, and, and I would have questions like, well, because I assumed a sola scriptura worldview because I'm an American and America right. is a Protestant nation. So I assumed that the way you come to know Jesus is you buy a copy of the Bible and you read the Bible, and and then there it is. Right. But as someone, I never went to Sunday school. I never went to church. I didn't. I had no. I did not understand the difference between the Old and New Testament. Wow. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah, it was yeah, it's logical. Yeah, logical. So, I mean, I I am the case study of why sola scriptura is nonsense because I was just looking at it like this. What is going on? This makes no sense. I don't understand it. And then people would say, like the the Protestants who, you know, I'd I'd find places on the internet where Protestants would say, well, you have to read the Old Testament so that you can interpret it in light of the New Testament. And I would be like, don't you guys have jobs? And when would I have time? How do I have time to become a scripture scholar? Like you're basically saying, I have to get my PhD to, to come to know Jesus. And then I thought, you know, for the world literacy rate today is only 80%. And in most times and places in the past 2,000 years, I mean, it was only the the royals who, who could right. read. The average person could not read, let alone own a Bible. And so I thought, well, how did, how did, how did anyone come to know Jesus before Absolutely. the printing press and before modern literacy? 
And notice, by the way, Protestantism began at the same time as the printing press. Like it didn't exist before right. the printing press. And uh, so anyway, I um, these these commenters were like, you know, what what if before Jesus ascended to heaven, he founded a church, just one identifiable church, and he promised to stay with it. And, and that this church would speak, you know, the, the living truth to all times and places in history. And I was like, oh, that would make a lot of sense. And they were like, yeah, what, what if like this church read through the Bible as part of its, as part of its church services mm-hmm. so that even illiterate people would be walking through the Bible in an orderly right. fashion? I was like, that, that really makes a lot of sense. And then when they were like, that's the Catholic church, I was like, no, no, are you, no, are you kidding right, me? Right, 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 right. Um, but my husband and I both just we researched it. We read papal encyclicals. We we wow. looked, yeah oh yeah we did we, we were we were big nerds about all it. in. We read, we read Chesterton, and and once I actually heard the Catholic point of view, I, I heard the Catholic explanation of what the Catholic Church is and what it stands for and who Jesus is and all that. It, it just made sense. And my husband and I both. Uh, came into the church in uh, at Easter Vigil 2007. Wow, so there, there, that's the short version of my. Wow, work. congratulations, congratulations! Yeah. Now I have a. You mentioned the objections you had as an atheist and these Catholics responding to them. So, what were some of those? One or two of those main ob- objections that you had that af- affected your remaining an atheist the, all that time, so to speak. Yeah, I think, by the way, it's interesting to note that one objection I did not have was the veneration of Mary. But mm-hmm. what's funny is my husband, he was raised Southern Baptist, and that that just made no sense to him. But it made total sense to me. I said, look, if the creator of the whole universe chose his own mom, don't you think that she would be pretty special? Like, to, right. to me, veneration of Mary just made total sense. Right. Um, but But some of the objections... I had were I mean they they were more sort of basic questions about theism like why would a why would a loving god allow suffering and right. the catholics would say look look at a crucifix this is why we don't do the empty cross in in our religious imagery like we're on our neck we will wear the crucifix because it is a reminder that god came to suffer with us and he transformed suffering into a love generating act. And I I thought that was very interesting. I also, because I had grown up in the Protestant South, I thought that all Christians believed that you were supposed to read the Old Testament as a science textbook Mm. and interpret everything completely literally. And then I realized, no, that the church understands that these documents were created at different times and places in history. And so each one, you need to factor in the the context context. of of how the document was created. And so, so that answer made sense to me. And, um, and, and, you know, the quote unquote women. Oh, actually, an, another one that, that I thought was most compelling was I said, you know, what about the female priesthood? It seems like women should be allowed to be priests, too. Mm-hmm. And, and they said, yeah, that's because you're thinking of it as a job. Like if right. this were like working at McDonald's, yes, the women should be allowed to work at McDonald's, too. This is not a J-O-B like working at McDonald's. Priests are standing in persona Christi, the, in, right. in the place of Christ. Christ. And so, and that, that clicked for me because I thought, you know, it, if I were to have to go away and I wanted someone to stand in my place as a mother to my children, I would not choose some guy. I would be looking right. for a woman <laughs> right, to right, stand right. in my place and represent me. And because it's, uh, you know, Scott Hahn has 
such fascinating things to say about the the church as a family, thinking mm-hmm. of it as a family with the Pope is our father and the bishops are our uncles and and, and all of that. And, and, you know, your parish priest is, is kind of a father figure to you mm-hmm. as well. And when you think of it as a family, instead of as a, a clock punching job, <laughs> right, or, or like, a yeah, if someone is going to stand in the place of Christ, then yeah, that would have to be a man. And, and same thing with our nuns. You know, they they represent the Blessed Mother to us in many ways. A man right. can't do that. Right. So I, that was that was a real paradigm shift for me when I started to think of the sacred roles within the church as a family instead of as a nine to five job. Wow. Yeah, that's that's really great. So and then um, uh, another thing, because you encountered your faith right and uh, during your life. Um, what would you uh, indicate as most important, let's say, of your faith, right? So uh, now looking back, um, the the things that are most valuable in the Catholic Church that you find more valuable, obviously pe- different people um, um, like different things, but what would you say was most is most important for you today as a, um, if you want to call it, convert to Catholicism? Well, I would say two things on two totally different levels. Obviously, the Eucharist, that was another thing as an atheist. I, I, I never struggled with the doctrine of the real presence because I said, well, look, God is God. If he wants to make himself truly present in what looks like bread, he can do that. He's God. And and I love it because I, I spent a lot of time at Mass when I was an early convert with a lot of little kids. I had six babies in eight years. Wow. And, and so that's yeah, awesome, by the times. way, congratulations. That is yeah, super right. awesome. I mean, there were a lot of times I couldn't hear the homily. I couldn't focus on the <laughs> readings. I was outside with my kids. And just that idea that I could encounter Christ in a physical way. Again, I thought, what, what if someone has a learning disability and they right. can't read or they can't even understand the readings or the homily? Well, they can still encounter Christ in this very basic and primal way through, through eating his, his living body. And so, of course, that's, that's uh, I think, the greatest part of any Catholic's mm-hmm. life. But then on a different level, um, so when I did my stand-up comedy tour, and I'm back at it now, but I did a, I did a tour um, in uh, 2019 and then right before quarantine started. Wow. And I had this young girl come with me. She's 26 and she's not Catholic and she'd never really met Catholics. And even though my, my tour was for everyone, lots of people came out. But, of course, my fan base being what it is. Uh, lots of Catholics showed up. Right, so she of ended up meeting a lot of Catholics. And I asked her one time, I said, what do you think of this Catholic world? And she said, you guys are like a secret society of of people who do cool things all the time. Mm-hmm. But I thought that was interesting for people who have never been outside of the church. You don't understand how much of a secret society we really are. Like, Father, I bet right now we could play the name game I am sure that we know two or three people in common and right. we live in we live in totally different parts of the country. You're in Michigan, right. I'm in Texas, but because we are Catholic, I promise you 100% we know people in common. Right, it's a, a and, small group. Yeah, and you know, as as someone I moved a lot as a child and I was an atheist and I'm an only child. I don't have siblings. Mm. And so I spent my whole life feeling like I don't have people. I come from a very small family. I don't have a big extended family. Mm. I felt very isolated and like I don't I don't have a tribe. I don't have my people. But now that I'm Catholic, I can go to anywhere on planet Earth and go to a mass and have something in common with those people. And frankly, right. we probably know some people in common even if I'm in another country. 
Right. And that is, I hope that Catholics, especially young Catholics, they might not see what a cool thing it is to be right. part of the Catholic club, but outsiders really do see us as a secret society. And it, it's kind of a cool thing. Right, right, right. Very good. Well, um, and uh, so I'm amazed. I'm always amazed at families. I love uh, kids and everything, right? So uh, I'm amazed that you have all those kids and all the difficulties that you went through. I know from the uh, stories you, you shared in the past. Um, so uh, I think having a family uh, with a stable matrimony uh, is such an important thing for today for young people to know that they can look forward to having a, a spouse and having children. But unfortunately, our, our society, our world really attacks that, right? Uh, our, our country with its laws is attacking that. The international community is attack, attacking that. It's, it's what John Paul II had said, St. John Paul II had said, that uh, the great battle will be the battle for the family. So um, considering that you, as a, I, I understand as an atheist, still had the idea of having children and, and, you know, that and forming a family, that is a great thing. So what would you say, um, any advice you could give to uh, young people that are in college, especially Catholics, that sometimes might feel a little doubt? Because I know I personally I, uh, um, offer spiritual direction to many uh, high school and college uh, students, and I've encountered this difficulty that they, they think marriage is kind of... Uh, not a modern thing anymore, you know? Right. Um, but they're Catholic. So what would you say to a college student, a young man, a young woman who want, would like to form a, a family? And sometimes they have, have a hard time fa finding anyone who wants to do the same thing. Right. Th this is actually so much of what I do with my comedy. I mean, with my stand-up comedy special, with the little TikTok things that I do. Mm -hmm. My driving force is to show women, especially, that that all, all, so many of the ideas you have about motherhood and Christian motherhood, Catholic motherhood and, and just marriage and all that, they're, they're, they're wrong. Like it, it, there's, there are these ideas out there that in order to be a mother, you have to check all of these little perfect boxes and do everything absolutely perfectly. And you encounter that on social media a lot. And so of course, a lot of young girls are like, look, I can't sign up for that. I have, right. I have some talents that I'm really interested in sharing with the world. And if what I'm hearing is that I just have to shut down my brain for the entire duration that I have children and I'm actively part of a, a family that's raising children, well, I'd, who would want to sign up for that? That's not right. what God wants for us. That's not what he asks for us. He asks sacrifice. He asks that we put love first. But part of loving your family and loving the world is being fully who you are and right. finding ways to use your gifts, whether it's in the home, whether it's in the wider community. But but we but we women get exposed to these messages that oh no you're you're a bad mother unless you shut down your entire personality and, and your entire life. And so what I would say is throw out all of the dumb social media ideas about what it looks like to have a family and accept that when you have a family, yeah, it will probably be super messy and you will probably fail a lot and you probably won't do it right, but it will be the best thing that ever happened to you. And in fact, a, a little anecdote that, that especially your, your college age listeners might find interesting. When I got into stand-up comedy, I, I already had six kids and stand-up wow. comedy <laughs> is a notoriously, it's male dominated. It's ruthless. It is a psychological minefield. It, it, I mean, it's been, it's, I feel like I've been through the Navy SEALs getting into stand-up comedy. <laughs> and, and everyone said, they said, Janet, you can't do it with six kids. You just can't. 
And anyone who knows anything about stand-up comedy knows there's a reputation that as soon as women have one kid, they tend to drop out. It's it's just wow. too hard. And so I, I was kind of intimidated by that. But then I thought, what if I saw my family as my team instead of an obstacle that I have to overcome to do stand-up comedy? And right. so I brought my kids into it. And what's amazing is I self-produced my own tour. I booked theaters on my own personal credit card. But because I was funding this myself, I could not afford to hire staff like a lot of comedians do. So I asked my kids if they wanted to come with me. Wow. I had three employees my, at, my, at a couple of really big <laughs> shows. My 10-year-old daughter was up there on stage doing sound check and going over my rider with the sound guy. Wow. And I could not. I, it was a wildly successful stand-up comedy tour. I recently signed with a top Hollywood agency, United Talent, because of that tour. I couldn't have done it without my kids. And so that's what I always tell young people is don't think of kids and family as your burden. Think of them to use to use the words that the the kids say. Think of them as your squad. They're not your burden. They're your squad. They're your team. They've got your back. And I think when you start to think of family that way as they're your team and you guys are going to go out into the world and do awesome things together, that changes how you think about family. Right. Wow. Wow. That's that's awesome. Well, very good. Well, thank you very much for for sharing all this uh, with all of us. Um, so I will be uh, encouraging uh, everyone to list to read your books, especially the one on the existence of God that we talked about. Something other than God. And uh, regarding your your upcoming tours, because that's uh, what you're doing now. First of all, to l- check your TikTok account, but also yes. where uh, where are you going to be going soon? So we don't know yet. Um, we are currently routing that tour. It will be in the fall. I will start it at uh, comedy clubs. That's kind of fun. I'm going to real comedy clubs. Uh-huh. We don't we don't have it nailed down yet. But if people go to jfcomedytour.com, that's jfcomedytour.com, I have a little link you can get on my email list, and then you'll be the first to know as soon as I have dates to announce. Perfect. Awesome. Very good. Well, thank you very very much, uh, Jen, for for sharing all this with with us and uh yeah i wish you the very best and uh, i keep you in my prayers also you and all your family you're the best thank you so much and i'll pray for you as well father i really appreciate it and thank you everyone for joining me today make sure you check the show notes to this episode to find the titles of jen's books and all the different links to her social media there you'll also find links to my religious order Midas christi how to sign up to the weekend silent retreats that are so great and how to follow us on instagram Remember also to subscribe to this podcast and please share this episode with your friends. If you want to support this podcast, please do leave a review on Apple Podcasts so that other people may be encouraged to listen as well. So we will see you in our next episode and may God bless your day.